0: Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or Go to our website, experiencecc.org, for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Good
1: Good morning. Good morning to all of you gathered here in this room together, and good morning to everyone. Looking online, I don't know about you, but I consider them part of our worship gathering, don't you? Because I was one of them. <laughs> I've been one of them for the last couple years, and uh, so we're, we're so grateful that you're uh, with us uh, this morning, and uh, if not in person, then definitely in spirit, and we consider you part of our worship. By the way, I'm starving Um, thank I mean no no offense to the cookies I I had my breakfast this morning after I got here and I was feeling guilty about eating a cookie for breakfast and then I was told they're oatmeal cookies (laughs) so it's all good right it yeah it is breakfast it is so but but that cookie didn't last very long so I'm I'm starving have you ever said that you ever said, I'm starving? Yeah, yeah, I know I have. Like when, um, you know, somebody says, should we throw something together for supper? And you say, yeah, man, I'm starving. You know, let's go for it, you know? Uh, yeah. Or, or when the restaurant maybe is just a little slow and bringing the food, you know, and, and you're ready before it's ready, and you say, I sure wish they'd hurry up. I'm just starving. Well, I, I say that. I don't know about you, but I have never, ever been starving. Maybe you have. I, I never have. I've never been starving. I mean, I get what I call hungry or thirsty, um, but I, I've never been starving. I'm always ready for food, but that's different, right? That's different. That's, yeah, I'm, I've never really been starving. In fact, I realized that saying I'm starving or even thinking I'm starving kind of betrays my fellow human beings who are starving. I mean, there are some who are, right? I mean, I I went back and read a little history. And I discovered that 20,000 Jews died of starvation just 20 years before Jesus was born because of a terrible drought that swept the land where Jesus lived. 20,000 died in a month or so. I learned that a million Mayans down there in Central America, you know, the Mayan people, A million of them died of hunger during a drought about a thousand years ago now. And it caused the collapse of their whole civilization. Their their starvation caused that. Uh, Some of my Irish ancestors, um, some of whom fled Ireland back in the 1840s because of the potato famine. One million Irish people died during that famine a million it's not a very big country to begin with two million had to flee their beloved homeland because of that famine and and history is one thing but today is another thing and i'm here to tell you that 10 million people are starving right now people in nigeria and Somalia, and South Sudan, and Yemen, and Syria, and Afghanistan, and the list goes on, are starving, and I mean really starving. I'm not going to say I'm starving anymore. I might say I'm getting the nibbles, or I'm getting the munchies, but I'm not going to say I'm starving anymore. What is it about hunger and thirst that makes it so devastating, just so so destructive, I guess of all our desires, hunger and thirst touch us, don't they? At our deepest level, I'm talking about the level of life and death, huh? I mean, you can talk about clothing, you can talk about shelter, you can talk about physical pleasure or emotional pleasure. These are all needs that we have, and they're important needs. But of all our desires... Food and drink are the most demanding. They're the most constant. I'm talking every day. I'm talking all day, right? Yeah. Yeah. So hunger and thirst are really important. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible knows about hunger and thirst. The Word of God knows about hunger and thirst. All the way back in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the people of God were starving along with the Egyptians, until who came along to develop a plan to supply food for them? What's his name? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. God sent one of his own people, Joseph, to organize a great campaign to save his people, the people of God, from starvation. In the very next book, the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt this is Exodus then they got out there in the wilderness and guess what they were starving they they were just plain starving they didn't know how to survive in the wilderness and God stepped in again right and provided bread from heaven that they called manna you know what manna means what is it no that's what manna means Manna means, what is that stuff? Yeah. Well, they, it didn't really matter what it was, as long as it was provided by God, and it saved them from what? Starvation. Saved them from, star- okay, fast forward. We don't have time to go through uh, every book of the Bible, do we? Let's go to the, um, how about Revelation? Is that forward enough? <laughs> Man, uh, let's just, yeah, yeah. We'll just, yeah, that's a leap. <laughs> That's not a fast forward. We're going to the book of Revelation, and there we learn that there will be famine after, famine after famine after famine after famine all the way through the history of the human race. But that's not the message of the book of Revelation. That's a fact in it. The message of the book of Revelation is that our Lord is victorious in all circumstances of life, even in famine, even in starvation. Amen. I'm telling you, the Bible knows about hunger and thirst. And so did Jesus, our Lord. Think about it a minute. Did Jesus know about hunger and thirst? He endured how many days in the wilderness? 40 days, 40 days and nights in the wilderness of Judea. Hunger and thirst. He provided wine at a wedding banquet. He knew about thirst. He made provision for their thirst. Remember that? At the wedding in the town of Cana. On at least two occasions, maybe more, but at least two we know of, Jesus responded to the hunger of the crowds who had come hungry for his teaching and now are hungry for food. And he provided for them by feeding them all they could eat, all they needed till they were, till they were satisfied. Remember the 5,000, the 4,000? My favorite feeding story of Jesus is after he raised that little girl from the dead. Remember Jairus' daughter? Raised her from the dead. The first thing he said when she sat up on the edge of the bed was, get her something to eat. Don't you love that? It shows us that he cared as much about her physical needs you know, as, as her life. Um, And then after the resurrection, my second favorite feeding story, after the resurrection, the disciples had gone back to Galilee, they had gone back to fishing. They didn't know what was up. Jesus shows up on the seashore. He's got a little charcoal fire going there, waiting for them to bring some fish in so he can cook them breakfast. Oh, it's in the Gospel of John. It's a beautiful story. What I'm telling you is that Jesus knew about hunger and thirst and about meeting the needs of people who were hungry and thirsty. And here's another interesting thing I learned from Jesus. As deep and as demanding as hunger and thirst can be, as difficult as those 40 days and nights of fasting in the wilderness must have been for Jesus as concerned as Jesus was for the hunger and thirst of the 5000 and the 4000 Jesus knew that hunger and thirst can sometimes here's my point have a positive effect mm. think about that we think of, i think of hunger and thirst usually negatively huh i'm starving but it can have a positive effect those 40 days and nights fasting in the wilderness helped prepare Jesus to live out God's plan during his three years of earthly existence they helped him learn how to resist the temptations of Satan they helped him focus on his divine purpose those feeding stories remind us that Jesus cares as much about physical hunger as he does about spiritual hunger Now we're in a series on the Beatitudes. They're found in Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 5. And thank you so much for the beautiful reading of the Beatitudes this morning. That's how we began our service, very meaningful. Today, we're talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. You're welcome to turn to that if you'd like on your phone or in your Bible or However, you have the scriptures. Matthew 5, 6 says something really odd to me. Happy are the hungry. That seems like a contradiction to me. Because I'm always trying to get filled up, you know. But Jesus says, happy are the hungry. Well, let me read the whole verse to you. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Matthew 5, verse 6. Well, what did Jesus mean by that fourth beatitude, that fourth blessed are? Well, we already know what hunger and thirst means. I've been talking about it for the last few minutes, and I think we're on the same wavelength there. When we're talking hunger and thirst, we're talking about whatever touches us at the deepest level of our lives at the level of life and death we're talking about whatever hunger and thirst it's connected to the to the basics of our lives we're okay with hunger and thirst what about that word happy now you say i don't have happy in my bible you don't have the word happy do you what word do you have Blessed. blessed, blessed, yes, and blessed is a perfectly wonderful translation, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, most of your Bibles have, the, uh, the New Living Translation that was read to us this morning, tweaks that a little bit, God blesses those who hunger and thirst, same idea, but I'm here to tell you that the original word was actually happy, there, there's a perfectly wonderful word, blessed, that's used all over the New Testament, But this is a different word, not used all that often, and it is happy. Now, when they used that word happy, when Jesus used that happy 2,000 years ago, he didn't mean it quite the way we use the word happy today. The word happy means kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, Jesus meant something way more serious than that. Here's the definition of the word happy as Jesus used it. Happy refers to an ongoing state, a permanent condition of inner joy provided by God when we live like God, like God created us to live. So when I say that the word that Jesus used here is the word happy, I don't mean some silly meaning of, of happy like we use it now, nowadays. I mean something serious and something spiritual, okay? So you with me on that? Yeah. Happy, blessed, it, it all comes from God, right? But then what did Jesus mean by righteousness? That's a great big word, isn't it? And um, those of us who've been hanging around church for a long time, we, we use that word, we throw it around, and, and sometimes I wonder, do we really understand what it means? Well, here's, here's what it means. Righteousness means being in a right relationship with God. Yes. A right relationship with God. It operates on a vertical dimension, right? Between God and us, us and God. It involves having our wills, our desires aligned. I like that word. Do you like that word? Aligned with God's will. You know what alignment is, right? Auto Autoshop. Yeah. Yo, you with me? Yeah. Okay, at, the, at that auto shop, okay. Yeah, yeah. If your front tires, front wheels get out of alignment, if those two tires aren't aimed in the same direction, pulling in exactly the same direction, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to wear unevenly for one thing, right? They'll, they'll, they'll get useless uh, eventually, faster. Yeah. But even worse, you'll start to feel the vibration, Right. right. Your car will get all shook up, and then you'll get all shook up. And I don't want you to get all shook up. So we've got to check our alignment. Whenever we take our car in to get serviced, one of the things they do is check the alignment. That's all righteousness is. When Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying, check your alignment, people. Check your alignment, with God. Have a hunger, have a deep thirst for righteousness, for living your life, your daily life aligned with the will of God. Mm. But now, I don't know if you noticed, but when that scripture was read to us this morning from the New Living Translation, it said, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for, did you hear the different word? Justice. 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 You said, Whoa, I thought it was righteousness. Well, guess what? The word Jesus used can mean righteousness or justice. Now, what's the difference? Well, righteousness, do you remember? Quiz time. Righteousness means a right relationship with God. Vertical, remember that? Justice means lining our lives up with the life needs of others. So it operates on what? A horizontal dimension, right? Yes, Yes, it does. It has to do with us and others and others and us. It involves meeting others at the point of their life needs, their deepest needs, physical, financial, emotional, psychological, spiritual, you name it. And we do it all in accordance, of course, with God's will for our relationship with him and with others. Now, most of you do a little word processing, don't you? A little typing on the computer. Most of you you do that. Have you ever heard the phrase? Or I don't know, can you remember back? um, There was this machine I remember using in my youth. Typewriter or something like that. Was that what they were called? Typewriter, typewriter. Yeah. Okay, so whether it's a typewriter or a word processor, have you ever heard the phrase justifying margins? Oh, Yeah. That's something we do, isn't it? Just, what's it mean? Line up the margin, right? Now, if you're writing in English, you justify your marginal which side? Left side. The left side. Guess what? If you're, if you're writing in Hebrew, did you know? It's the right side. Yeah, good. Some of, some of you knew that. They justify. I've often thought, I've never done it, but I've often thought that when I'm typing up my sermon notes, I have notes, when I type up my sermon notes, I ought to use the center justification. Did you know you can do that? Yeah, there's a center. And I was, sermon, my sermon notes ought to be center justified. Why? Because I want every word I say when I preach God's word to be centered on Jesus. Huh? Amen. See? Yeah. So, so that's in my head. Uh-huh. I've never actually done it. <laughs> you know? But I should, shouldn't I? Send. Okay. All right, let's go back to justifying margins, okay, Uh, over on the left. Yeah, all Jesus is saying when he says you've got to hunger and thirst for justice is that we've got to justify our margins. We've got to get our lives lined up, and we've got to hunger and thirst for getting our lives lined up with doing justice, living our lives lined up with the deepest needs of those around us. And when I say margins, guess what? I mean margins. You know what I mean by margins? I mean that God cares and always has cared most about people living on the margins, the marginalized. And Jesus cared most, I think, about people living on the margins. The leper, the woman taken into adultery. These are marginalized people, right? And Jesus poured out his love for them just like he did everybody else. And if God cares most about the marginalized and Jesus cares most about the marginalized, guess who they care we care about the most? The marginalized. I'm telling you folks that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, hunger, and thirst for justice. Line your lives up with the life needs of others, the deepest life needs, including, if not especially, those living on the margins. All right, so there's some definitions of righteousness and justice. Back to the Sermon on the Mount now. Back to Matthew 5, chapter 6. When Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness for justice, he meant that we should be hungering and thirsting not for our own righteousness or our own version of justice, but on God's justice, God's righteousness, not human justice. I'll tell you what, when I hear the word righteousness, I often think in human terms. I often think of alignment with the law. Alignment with a system of morality or philosophy. Alignment with some religious creed, but not Jesus. He didn't talk about righteousness that way. When, when I hear the word justice, I often think in human terms. Uh, justice often just means fairness to me, you know what I mean? Fairness, tit for tat, getting what we deserve, giving them what they deserve, huh? But not Jesus. He didn't think about it that way. God, Jesus is calling on us to crave God's character. To be, be, be starving for making our character be like God's character. How do I know this? That he's talking about God's righteousness? God's justice? It's right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Just a few sentences later in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Where Jesus says, seek The kingdom of God and His. Whoa, there it is. His righteousness. Not your own righteousness. Mm, God's righteousness. What in the world does that mean? God's. In what way is God righteous or God just? Well, I think God's righteousness is just God being God. It's just God being God. It's, it, it involves God's holiness, God's own holiness, God's own goodness, God's own kindness, the list goes on, God's own grace, God's own mercy. And it's not only something that God has, possesses, it's something that God shares, or at least wants to share, with the human race that God has created in his own image. So for God, righteousness is both... Uh, both a given it's what he is and it's a gift what he wants us to have it's something that we must seek according to Matthew 6.33 seek first before all else and it's something that we must hunger for above all else the justice of God well is there an alternative I mean uh, Maybe the only true righteousness is God's righteousness. Maybe the only true justice is God's justice. Is is there an alternative that we have to watch out for here to make sure that we're seeking the right righteousness and hungering and thirsting for the correct justice? Oh, you bet there is. There is an alternative, and it is a tempting and dangerous alternative to God's righteousness And how do I know that? From Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. But I warn you, your righteousness had better be better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees. If not, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, there is an alternative. You see, most of the most religious people in Jesus' day craved righteousness all right, but they craved a self-righteousness. Oh my, that's an alternative. It was based on law-keeping, not on the Lord. They sought justice, those Pharisees, but it was based on legalism, not love. And you know what? I'm prone to yield to the same temptation that they yielded to. I hate to say it, and I'm not saying it about you, but I confess it to you. I am prone to, well, compare myself with others. I'm prone to compete with others. I'm prone to condemn others very quickly. I'm prone to set up a rules-based religion. I like a checklist Christianity, don't you? Oh, I feel so good with a checklist Christianity. But when I fall into those traps, before I even know it, and if any of you are with me here, before we even know it, us followers have become Pharisees. Yeah. How sad is that? Yeah. How sad is that? Amen. That the followers of Jesus, who are called to live out the royal law of love, have found ourselves a bunch of legalists. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says to us, you've got to seek, you've got to be hungry, you've got to be thirsty, for the right justiceness of God. I just made up a word. Did you hear? The right justiceness of God. Yeah, we've got to be hungry for the right justices of God, living out God's love for the lonely and the lowly and the lost and showing God's mercy to the, guess who? The marginalized. So Jesus has told us what we should crave, righteousness, justice. And Jesus has told us why we should crave it. It'll give meaning to our lives, blessedness, happiness, joy, And Jesus has clarified whose righteousness we should seek. God's righteousness. And Jesus has warned us whose righteousness we need to avoid at all costs. The pharisaical legalistic style of righteousness. But we're left with a really big question. How? How do we live out a life aligned with God and lined up with the life needs of others? I think Jesus spends the rest of Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount answering that question. I think the rest of the chapter is an explanation of what it means to live in God's righteousness. Let me give you some examples. The next few verses in the Beatitudes themselves give us examples. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 7, 8, and 9, we read this. "Happier are those who are merciful. Merciful. They'll be shown mercy by God. Happier are those whose hearts are pure. They'll see God. It's all about God. Happier are those who work for peace. They'll be called the children of God. See, it's all about God. You hear those three, three things? Mercy, what were they? Mercy, purity, and peacemaking. Yeah, purity is God's holiness. That's the hallmark of who God is. Peacemaking is God reconciling the world to himself. That's a hallmark of what God wants in our relationship. And mercy, oh, that's God's decision not to give us what we deserve. It's the hallmark of how God acts in his relationship with us. Praise God. These are the roots of God's righteousness. But Jesus went on all the way through chapter 5. You can read it uh, later today or sometime this week. Read the rest of, of this chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has gone on to say, I'll tell you what folks, it's not enough not to kill people. It's not enough just to feel good that you haven't done physical violence lately. That's not enough. No, real righteousness, Jesus says, requires that we shouldn't even put people down. We shouldn't even call other names. We shouldn't even mock other people. We shouldn't even harbor anger for other people. Now, there's real righteousness for you. Why? Because that's just like God, who does not dehumanize us, even when we act unhumanely. Mm. Mm. Boy, that's mercy, isn't it? That's mercy. Then Jesus goes on and says, "Uh, guess what, folks? It's not enough not to commit adultery. It's, it's just not enough not to do physical sexual violence to another human being. No, real righteousness requires that we don't objectify other human beings. We don't think about them. We don't imagine them. We don't picture them for our own sexual desire. That's what real righteousness is. Just like God, who honors us for who we are and how he made us. We have to be like God when it comes to sexual relations. Jesus goes right on, still in chapter 5. It's not enough, Jesus said, to be fair. A lot of us have grown up thinking that being fair is the the height, is the goal. Mm -hmm. No, Jesus said, no, fairness is not my goal. It's not enough to be fair. It's not enough to justify revenge. Claiming an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, real righteousness requires that we refrain from all retaliation, all revenge. Instead, living for giving, living for forgiving. Just like God who poured out his grace upon us, giving us what we did not deserve. It's not enough, Jesus said, to love your neighbors, those who are like us and who do like us. No. Real righteousness, Jesus says, requires that we love even our enemies, those who aren't like us and don't like us. Why? To be just like God who loved us while we were yet sinners. That's what real righteousness is, you see. According to Jesus, according to the Sermon on the Mount. Well, what about us? What about today? This is the part of the sermon where I quit preaching completely. And go to meddling. Meddling? You know that word. How do we live out the right justices of God? How do, how do I do that? I think we've got to recognize that a number of things that we take for granted in our culture and even as Christians do not work toward the righteousness of God. I tell you, uh, you may not agree with me, but I think we've got to recognize that materialism fosters injustice. So I want us to seek justice through generosity. I think we need to care. I think Christians need to care about living incomes and fair wages. I, I think sexism is unjust so I want to seek justice through mutual respect I think Christians should care about equality for women in our society and in the church I, I think we've got to recognize that aggression is unjust and I want to seek justice through kindness and compassion toward others I think Christians need to care about nonviolence in our homes and, and in our world. I think looking down on the poor and resenting the rich are forms of injustice. So I want to seek justice by focusing on people, not their possessions or lack thereof. Amen. I think Christians need to care about affordable housing and health care for all. Those aren't political issues, my friends. Those are Jesus issues. Yeah. I think racism is a form of injustice and I want to seek justice by celebrating both our unique differences and our common humanity. We need to reject racial discrimination. I think nationalism, I'm not talking about loyalty, I'm not even talking about patriotism, I'm talking about nationalism. I think nationalism can lead down the path to injustice. So I want to seek justice. I want to long for the time when every tribe and every tongue and every nation submits to the Lordship of Jesus, including my own nation. Okay? Yes. Including my own. I want I want to be part of a church that welcomes the foreigner and welcomes the refugee. I think slavery is a form of injustice, and guess what? It didn't end in 1865. Oh my. So I want to seek justice. Longing for the time, fighting it in any form. So I think Christians need to be leading the fight against economic slavery and sex trafficking and every other form in which slavery slavery appears in our culture today. I think partiality leads to injustice. So I want to seek justice. I want to invite everyone... I want the table that we gather around Sunday by Sunday to be open to everyone without partiality. Okay. Okay, I'll stop the meddling. I'll stop the meddling. Those are just a few, my friends, of the ways in which Christians have bought in to the culture around them and have forgotten the nature of God's righteousness. All right. Now I'll wrap it up. It was almost exactly 60 years ago. We're one year short of 60 years. August 1963. I know that most of you in the room had not yet been born. I understand that. But I had been born in 1963. In fact, I was a very impressionable 16-year-old. In August of 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech on the front steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The whole world remembers that speech best for his words, I have a dream. And as stirring as those words were, they're not the ones that catch my attention. Let me tell you what it is. The words I remember best, I take as a call to the church, to us. To us believers. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because in that speech, Dr. King said this. We refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. Mm -hmm. No. No, he went on to say. We are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you know that Dr. Martin Luther King did not make those words up? He's quoting them directly from the Old Testament, from the Word of God, from our Bibles, the Old Testament prophet Amos, chapter 5, verse 24, which says, But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Straight from Amos. And the idea comes straight from Jesus, who said, Happy, joyous, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Have you developed an appetite during the last hour or so? I'm not talking about for Sunday dinner. Okay, <laughs> yeah, if you're hungry for that, we'll talk about that later. But no, I'm talking about something else. Are you thirsty? right now to pray with somebody are you hungry for more information about New Beginnings Fellowship or Experienced Christian Church maybe are you are you hungry to talk to somebody about the next step of faith that you know you really are ready to take or the meaning of Christian baptism if you're hungry for any of those kinds of things there, there will be representatives of our congregations right over here by this sign after the service, and I urge you to come and talk about any of those things or pray with them about any of that. We're about to move into our time of the Lord's Supper now, but let me pray as I finish the sermon. We pray that you guide us, O oh God, in our pursuit of happiness. Help us to stay hungry for a right relationship with you, to be lined up with the life needs of others. We pray this in the name of the one who called us to seek your righteousness, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks
0: for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.